as we wrapped up this last year, we closed out in the book of Second Peter, and we were left with a question. And the question was this, what sort of people ought we to be? Obviously, we've got a lot of information over the course of last year, looking at the book of Revelation. And Peter really caps all of that off. All the information we gained, all that he talked about the end times, and said, in light of all of this, what sort of people ought we be? Well, then, of course, Peter, in keeping with all of the great apostles that wrote letters in the New Testament, answers his own question in the same sentence. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. It's, it's the, it, Peter took a page out of Paul's writing playbook. Right? You see him in the confrontation in Jerusalem, and then when they're done arguing, okay, we're done arguing, okay. So when you write letters, like, like, do you have a preferred style? Paul's like, oh yeah, get this. I really like putting questions in the letter and then answering it immediately. And then I imagine what they look like. And so Peter, like, I can add that in. And so he asked the question, what sort of people ought we be? And then goes and answers it. But when he answers it, he gives us a really broad answer. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Which then leads to another question, which is, what does that even look like? What does that contain? What does that even begin? How do we begin to unfold that or unpack that? And I mentioned last week, listen, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks diving into that one sentence. But given that it's the first weekend of the new year, and I've been invited back to to kick off the new year, but not actually the the year, this is sort of like the pregame show for the year. You know, you watch football, you get the pregame show, you get those two guys, one's played football, one's never played football in his life, and they're talking about how the teams could each win the game if they executed the proper game plan, as though they had all the information in the world. So my goal this morning is to help us all of us move in to the year of 2010, to the year of servanthood, looking through the filter of this one verse. Well, not this one verse, and a whole passage in John. So this one verse plus a whole passage in John, that filter, and how we approach the year of servanthood and do it so that we are moving through that year Glorifying God, serving with passion, and being fulfilled. Which sounds like a good plan to me. So, we're going to move into that. As we look into this year, we're going to be looking at the book of John, chapter 15. So if you need a Bible, you want to raise your hand, a Bible will be brought to you. And when you get that Bible that's been brought to you, it'll be page 764 in that Bible. I actually even wrote the page number down this weekend, it's good. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to be hanging out. So as you guys get those Bibles and you're turning there, the problem with this year that's coming up, and everyone's like, why would there be a problem with the year of servanthood? Well, look at it this way. A lot of us are already salivating at the idea of doing stuff. And especially the idea of doing stuff for Jesus. We get excited about that. We get all amped up, man, there's stuff to do. We can get up there and do stuff. I mean, we had Pastor Russ up here a few weeks ago talking about justice and getting out there and dealing with some of the epic problems our world faces and how Jesus would call us to be part of the resolution to those things. 
And we get excited about that stuff. And he presented a number of options and a number of causes. And every single one of those causes was worthwhile. And some of us in our own minds were thinking, I could do one a week all year long and just go. And we get really excited about that. And I want to offer you guys just a slight caution as we enter into the year of servanthood. And that's this. It's my belief that service and the act of serving can be a Christian's greatest point of growth. can be their greatest point of growth, being stretched, being challenged. But at the same time, the act of serving and being in service and doing things can be a Christian's greatest facade. The easiest mask to put on in our faith is doing stuff. We can get really busy really easily. We can dive in and do a lot, but sometimes we use that to cover up what we're missing. So, I'll be getting into that a little bit more, but first, I'd like to go through our passage this morning. See how it all ties together. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that, so, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we dive into your word once again, and would you stir our spirits? Would you make us receptive? Would you open us up to hear what you have to say this morning? God, would you, would you move me out of the way? Would you speak clearly, God? That as we look into a new year with so much possibility, with so much to choose from, so much on the menu, God. Would you help us to start in a solid place? 
Would you, through your Holy Spirit, would you keep us balanced, God? So be with us in this place. Would you fill our hearts, fill our minds, and be present with us in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of stuff in this passage. Last half of this year, this last year, the last half of this coming year, the last half of this last year, I got kind of a burr in my saddle. I was given a book by my mentor, and I was given a challenge. And it had to do with this passage. Because in this passage, in the the King James, the ASV, the older versions, it uses the word, instead of remain, it uses the word abide. To abide. Abide in me, it says. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. And my mentor offered me this challenge. He said, I want you to really explore what it means to abide in Christ. And so I got it, you know, in my mind, I was going to do this. I was going to start exploring what it was to abide in Christ. And in my whiteboard, still to this day, if you, you walk in there, it's been there for like the last five months, there's a list of synonyms on the far right-hand side all the words that are synonymous with, or all the words at least I could come up with, that are synonymous with, abide. I wanted to know what it would be like to remain in Christ. And so in the young adult ministry, we kind of unpacked it over eight weeks, different aspects of what it would look like to abide. And this passage just speaks in volumes of where we are headed this year and how to get there in a healthy way. How to approach the year of servanthood in a way that will bring glory to God, will bring us fulfillment and enjoyment, and accomplish fruit that will last. Here's what we see. Jesus starts out in this chapter by saying, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Bold claim. I am the true vine. This is a claim to deity. This is Jesus saying, I am The one place that you can find nourishment. I am the truth. We've heard it before in John. I am the truth, the way, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It's a reiteration of that. I am the true vine. It is my position. It is my place. My Father is the gardener. He's the guy with the shears. He's the one monitoring the branches. You're bearing fruit, you'll be pruned, may not be comfortable, but it's okay. But if you are fruitless, you'll be cut off, thrown away. But here's what he says. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So have this wonderful agricultural analogy where Jesus kind of states the plainly obvious. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it's attached to the vine. Deep theological truth right there. What? You're kidding. But it's so accurate. I mean, it makes complete sense to the audience he's speaking to. Agricultural society. I mean, think about this. We obviously know it, but let's refer to flowers. We all like flowers. 
Perhaps you've gotten flowers. Perhaps someone's bought flowers for you. But no matter how much water you put flowers in, no matter how often you change the water, keep the water with that little stuff they give you, no matter what you do, the flowers will, they will die. Because they've been cut off from the source. They've been removed from the place that they can find nourishment. They will wither, they will die. So when they have been cut off, when the branch has been cut off, it bears no fruit. But gardening analogies aside, Jesus offers us something really different here. Because the branch itself, it has no choice. It's part of the vine. It's part of the tree. It's part of the plant. It's just there. Jesus says in verse 4, he offers us something. He says, listen, remain in me. He makes us aware that we have an option. The remaining, the abiding, has to do with us, the choices we make. Will we remain affixed to, stand with, be with Jesus? So how does this relate to this year? Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches of a man, remains in me and I in him. He will bear much fruit apart from me, you, nothing. That's a harsh statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can all sit in this room and go, well, I can actually do quite a bit. But of what value? Of what worth? So here's where things sort of get raw and real for me because, you see, despite being given the book, despite being given a challenge, I am a textbook case of probably should have taken my own advice. You see, I got really busy this last year doing two ministries, running back and forth, running around, raising my family. And things started to get a little crazy for me and somewhere along the line something shifted you see what Jesus is telling us here is listen don't start with the doing stuff that's where we all mess up that's where we all get ourselves turned around and the process all started with a question asked by the same mentor that gave me the book challenged me in the verse He asked me this question. He said, when you just want to hang out with your wife, what do you guys like to do? And I was like, well, that's easy. We're sushi addicts. And so, like, she'll call sometimes, middle of the day. You want to go get sushi? Yes. And I will drop whatever I'm doing. I'll clear my account. I'm like, can we push this appointment back an hour? Can we do this? I'm going to have sushi with my wife. It's not just the sushi. It's the fact that it's usually during the day. Kids are all in school. So we have adult speak time. Where just the two of us can hang out, share our favorite meal together, just be together. There's no expectation. It's just time together. Enjoying something we really enjoy together he goes well well, that's pretty easy for you 
Yeah, well, what about other stuff? He asked me. I was like, what do you mean? Well, like, does she ask you to do other stuff, like, during the day? Now, my mentor's got had 27 years of ministry experience, and so I know these are loaded questions. I, I said, you mean, like, favors and errands? Oh, yeah, does she call you for those? Uh-huh. And yes, then what happens? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, usually I'm busy doing something. You know, Christine will call up and say, hey, honey, I need you. Can you run over and get this and drop it by the house? Can you come home really quick? Can you go do this? Now, to make this sound, I mean, it's just how ridiculous this can be for me. I only live two miles from here. This is, yeah, this is, like, this is a deep confession today for me. So I'm just getting it all out. Ah. And I will, no, you know, I'm really in the middle of something big. I've got a meeting and I've got stuff and I've got emails that I'm not going to respond to. I've got stuff to do. I can't run your errand. And this is where my mentor flipped the conversation around. He said, really? What about when it comes to Jesus? What? He said, you do a lot for Jesus, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. So what about when you just want to be with Jesus? Oh. You see, it's really easy to get busy for Jesus. To get a list of stuff that you're going to accomplish. A list of stuff you're going to do. I'm doing for God. What about when God calls out for those intimate times? just wants you to sit and be still for some reason we hold that at arm's length as though it's it's weird i can't just be with jesus really what jesus is saying here is yeah yeah you can and you should if you want to accomplish anything stop putting the cart before the horse remain in me if you want to bear fruit that's a value remain in me be with me abide in me So see, I got really busy last half of this last year. About a month ago, it suddenly dawned on me that I was running on empty. Not empty as though I didn't have any energy left. Not empty as though I couldn't uh, keep moving or doing stuff. But suddenly it dawned on me that, you know what? I'm running spiritually empty. Because somewhere along the line, my intimate time with Jesus had started to cease. And my time of being in the Word and my time of prayer revolved around preparing lessons and praying with other people. I was doing stuff for Jesus, but I stopped being with Jesus. And I ran right up to this place of alarm and said, whoa, something is wrong. Same mentor, different conversation, starts picking around the the cork that I've got that all bottled behind. Starts asking some questions, and the next thing you know, I'm weeping in the front of Starbucks. Because it's so easy for us, all of us, to get caught up in a place of going so fast and thinking we are so righteous because of the things we are doing. You see where I'm going for this year? It's going to be so easy for us as a congregation, as a body, as a church, because there is so much worthwhile stuff out there to do. We could really get busy. We could really start moving fast. And we could really stop 
hanging out with our Savior. And that's not going to do well. Not for us, not for our church, certainly not for the glory of God. So, for me, it began with confession. Confession to my mentor, confession to my wife. See, that's the thing. My wife didn't even know. Because when we get busy doing religious holy things, people are like, well, wow, look at all the stuff they're doing. Clearly, they are in tune with the Lord. They're moving at a rapid pace. So they are doing much stuff for the kingdom, right? Uh, At what cost? Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. See, in order to show that we are disciples, the fruit we must bear begins with remaining in Christ. It starts there at the place of intimacy. It starts there with the stillness of being with God. Then out of the abundance of God's pouring into our life, we are able to pour out out of the overflow of His presence in us, then we can bear fruit, and as the Word says, fruit that will last, fruit that will show that we are disciples, not just stuff that we're doing to accomplish our task list. Because we've got to get this right in our hearts and our minds before we get into this year. So at this point of confession, confession to my mentor, confession to my wife, then I met with a good friend and counselor, poured it out there, and I met with Lance and Russ, poured it out there. I will gladly admit to you that there were snotty tears involved, if you were curious. Okay, I do cry sometimes, it's okay. But really actually where it started was in the midst of this was a confession to God. Who, of course, already knew. He's like, I'm glad you caught on. And the minute I turned and cried out to God, God, I'm running on empty. I felt this huge weight lift. And it was as though God was saying, okay, finally we're at a good starting point. Now we can start moving forward again. You understand the perspective. And so from that moment to this, I've been doing all that I can to seek God. I have my pre-prayer prayer time. So when my alarm goes off in the morning, I lay in bed. You know how you have the snooze thing? I lay there. I repeat a prayer that I learned from this guy named Brennan Manning. Perhaps you've heard of him. It simply says this, Abba, I belong to you. And I lay still and silent in my bed. And then I get up and go about my day. Then I seek God. But it's that time of intimacy with Christ that becomes the jumping off point for all that we're supposed to do. 
Because we cannot replace intimacy with busyness. It just doesn't work. We cannot run so fast serving out of some weird sense of obligation or really when we get it twisted, working our butts off hoping that somehow we're gaining God's favor. Please don't believe that lie. It starts with intimate relationship with Christ. That's where the fruit is born from. He goes on, verse 9, and this is what he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. See, we get that sort of twisted around. We're talking about, oh, see, if we want to be in His love and earn His love, we have to obey His commands. Jesus really clarified what the two greatest commandments were. He said simply this, Love the Lord your God with all that you have, and love one another as yourselves. Then he said a really poignant thing at the end of that statement. All, all, the law and the prophets hang on these two things. All. It's all wrapped up right there in those two things. Love God with everything you have. Love others as yourself. To love God, to remain in God, is where it all starts. We get ourselves worried that we're not doing enough. We get ourselves moving. What we forget is it starts where Jesus says... I have loved you. You have been worthy of my love. You have received my love. I have poured it out for you. Take hold of it. So we get confused with the idea that in order to serve God properly at the end of the day, we must be fully depleted, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. We must pour everything out and be empty. And then we really serve God. Please don't buy that. Serving God has to do with being fulfilled. Finding that which you're passionate and driven by and called to and going after it. And yes, you might be physically depleted. You might be tired. But anyone who's had some sort of project in their life that they're really passionate about and they really want to see happen, everyone can recognize the idea that no matter how hard you work at that, you may be physically done, unable to move, But you are emotionally elated, satisfied, fulfilled, because you've completed something that you have great passion in. There's a vast difference. So for us, where will that take us this year? Some of you in this room are in this place right now. You are running a million miles an hour doing a million things and you feel like you are not rested. And some of you 
that are feeling that way feel like you're really super holy spiritual people right now. Please, let go of that lie. Your spiritual emptiness does not do anything to glorify God. Because here's what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said this, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take from me, learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. What is the key to this year? It's this. We must remain in Christ. We must have the heart and attitude of a servant. Here's what Jesus says. I no longer call you servants in verse 15 because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. We must have the heart and attitude of a servant knowing that we have the position of a friend. The intimate relationship comes first. The knowing, the being with Jesus. That's the priority. Evidence of that? Think about this. The parable Jesus explains, Many will come in the last days and they will say, Lord, Lord, do we not do many great things? Do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not drive out spirits? What does he say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. He doesn't say, depart from me because you didn't do enough stuff. He didn't say, depart from me because you're not busy enough. Because your laundry list wasn't long enough. Because you didn't accomplish enough. No, he said, depart from me because I never knew you. You ran off headlong thinking you were doing religious things for me, when all the while you had no idea who I was, what I desire for you, where I'm calling you. I never knew you. You never knew me. So this year, as we get into the year of servanthood, the options are limitless. I pray that you will not forget, that you will not get caught up, swept up, because there are going to be challenges and and a call to be active, to, to find yourself in that point of growth. But in that, please do not let go of or forget that your call first is to abide in Christ and to remain in Him. To be with Him. To be poured into before you can be poured out of. Don't let go of that. So this morning as we wrap up, two things. We're wrapping up early, which obviously you see a trend here with me. It keeps me in the good graces of the kids' way, people. I'm telling you, that's important. I have four kids back there. They've got to be taken care of. As we wrap up, the band's going to come and they're going to play. And I'm going to invite you guys, please. I know the temptation is to, to rush out and get going with your day and get moving. Really? After this talk? Oh, I've got to get moving. Come on! I'm just going to invite you guys to just stay here. Maybe you take this time. Maybe it's confession for you. God, I've been going so hard all year. 
I just need a rest. I need your rest, not physical rest. I just need your rest, God. I need to be filled by you. I need to be with you. And if you're in this place and you're like, you know what, no, I'm filled up and I'm ready to go, then you know what, please stay, worship, pray for the people around you that are hurting, that are, are feeling depleted, that need to be poured into. But I'm going to invite you guys to stay and worship with us as we close. Kids are okay. they got like 14 more minutes back there before they're expecting you. So please join us as we worship. Let's pray together. God, this morning, as we pour out our hearts, would you fill us up? Would we throw up our hands and surrender to you? God, some of us in this room have been running at such a pace, it's ridiculous. And what we need this morning is to repent. We need to put that down. And God, we need to seek your yoke, your rest for our souls. God, that we would find the time to be intimate with you this year. God, that you would stir in our hearts, absolutely, a passion and a desire to do the things we are called to do, to be where we're supposed to be, but God, most importantly, to remain in you. So walk with us this morning. Draw us near to you as we come to worship. In Jesus' name.